Hello everyone and welcome back to Episode of Fenced In, uh, presented by me, Chris Mollard and Ben Peggs. We are both GB international foilists, one of us more than the other at the moment, uh, and also coach and student. And this is the one year anniversary episode of our podcast. So even though I think it was yesterday or the day before there was a, you know, on the news, a national anniversary for our first day in lockdown, uh, we, our first episode of our podcast came out on the 1st of April. How are you doing, Ben? I'm good. I'm good, mate. And yeah, as you say, this is our, our anniversary. And wow, I can't believe we've been going for a year. I remember when you approached me about this uh, this pipe dream and um, a little while before even the idea of lockdown, just doing a podcast. And I thought, wow, this is going to be hard to manage. And then lockdown came along and it was the perfect excuse to uh, to delve into this. And, and, you know, hence the name fenced in. I think it was I'm hoping and we've had some really great feedback, haven't we, from people that um that uh, that have kind of found this inspirational or even just something to listen to um, in in lockdown. So for everybody out there that has kind of supported our journey, um, a massive thank you. Um, and even someone that I ran into at the Leon Paul Centre the day I went, oh, Ben, love the, love the work, love the work. And just little things like that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I really appreciate it. I'm sure Chris really appreciates it. And just, you know, the, the kind of the work that we put in behind the scenes on this, um, I say we, Chris mainly. Um, and you know, I just turn up and waffle a bit. But you know, this is something that we're really enjoying. We want to do more of, and, and your support, um, you know, really encourages us to keep doing this. So, um, as we always say at the end, you know, do subscribe um, and, and and do uh, do find us. But please comment as well. We want to hear what what you guys have to say, what you guys think, and you know, if there is anything you'd like to hear from us, or people you want us to interview, or you know, things you want us to to research or look at. It's you know, it's as much your podcast as ours, I guess. So. Yeah, it's nice to nice to be here on our one year anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. I never I never thought it. Well, that sounds awful. Actually, I saying I never thought it'd go this long. That's not true. I didn't really think beyond we're going to start a podcast. But you know, we've definitely slowed down the pace a bit. Do you remember when we started? We were doing one a week. God, that oh, was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we had nothing else. To, we literally had nothing else to do. There was no training. We weren't. We were allowed out an hour a day. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really working, so <laughs> we had time on our hands. Yeah. As things opened up, things had to slow down a bit. It was every um, Friday, wasn't it? We'd jump on every Friday and then we'd record it and they were coming out so fast. And now, yeah, I say it's kind of one a month, but that that's just a, a nice, I think, way of showing that life is steadily coming back, which is which is good. Yeah. So if they become once every six months, don't, don't worry. It just means we're doing a lot. They're joking. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We'll probably be off gallivanting around the world somewhere. That's probably why. But uh, yeah, hopefully. So, Chris, how how have things been in what is the I'm guessing the kind of the start of the end of lockdown for you? Has, has anything really changed? I know you were saying that obviously you you basically had nothing on, um, and you know a lot of the podcast at the beginning was very much with the training we were doing. But how have kind of things developed for you over the year, and certainly the last few months, like post Christmas and things like that? Yeah, it's interesting actually. So my daughter's back at school now, which is interesting. Obviously, that means I have more time during the day. I'm doing some work for. A, for a big client as well so that takes up some of my time but um actually for me one of the big things is i bought squat rack and put it in the garage so i now have access to a few heavy weights which is quite nice um i asked ben and a friend for some feedback on my form the other day which i'm glad they corrected me on because learning <laughs> by youtube isn't always very easy um but no i i feel i feel good actually i'm really enjoying my training i'm really enjoying um varying my training so i've, I've stopped doing the same thing all the time and kind of my weight stuff and uh exploring some new exercises and learning and 
Ben sent me over some really good podcasts and given me some good ideas for, you know, for things that I can do uh, in true coach fashion and really enjoying those as well. I, th- I wrote on the wall deal that I've turned the w- part of my my garage slash gym wall uh, into kind of a wall of quotes. And on the on the other day in chalk, I just wrote, uh, be brave, have fun, play the game and be curious. Yeah. No, like, that's, all, that's all I need. <laughs> I think sometimes they are the most important things, having the, the quotes on the wall. I know they have their Leon Paul Centre and the idea like, you know, pressure is a privilege. And, and sometimes people scoff at the idea of kind of cheesy quotes. But actually, sometimes on a really tough session, they can get you through, uh, especially if you really want to believe in them that day. So, you know, you say you've, uh, you've, got, you've got a squat rack in, in, in your garage. You've built a gym is what you've built. And, and it, it, it looks really cool. It's somewhere where I would definitely want to hang out. Um, I, yeah, I know that we, you've probably taken quite a lot of inspiration from, from Keith Cook with his, his, uh, his, his gym that he's got going on stroke Sal as well, because he gives lessons in there, which is quite, quite impressive. Well, he's um, also, he's got kids that fence and a, and a wife yeah. that fences. So he's got a club at home. He's yeah, got... that's true. It's true. It's, it's, it's Sal the Cook basically is what Sal it is. Sal the Cook. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, um, it's, it's cool. Yeah. No. And how, how's your stuff going? Yeah. All good. All good. You know, I've, I've been, I've been very lucky. Um, you know, the, the, some of the, the uh, men's foilists and women's foilists and, and some of the men and women's sabreurs as well have been given elite athlete status. And so we were allowed to train at our, our national centre as per government legislation, um, which you've been doing to help prepare the athletes who will go to either the zonal um, uh, qualifier for the Olympic Games um, or for those going to the, the, the last kind of a few events that were subsequently cancelled last year. Um, it's hard to kind of get your head around that. But it's been nice to be training and doing things um that i guess other people can't do which it sounds a bit um sounds a bit nasty to say that but actually i think the idea of gratitude is is important in sport and i think that for me to be grateful for the fact that i can still train a lot of people can't um and and kind of get a lot more in the tank when other people aren't is not only a competitive advantage but it also just makes me grateful to be able to do that yeah absolutely and i think it's it's really easy i mean it could be really easy for anybody to say Ah, oh, you're so lucky you get to fence. But I think there are different tiers of these things. And no matter what you're able to do at the moment or not able to do at the moment, there are always there's always something that what you're able to do means there's something else you're not able to do. You mm. know, like your usual still been taken away. You would normally, you know, be flying around the world competing in these events. You can't do that. You know, I would normally be training uh or sparring three, four days a week and kind of training full time ish. Mm. I can't do that. So, and there are other people that would be training once a week that can't do that. So there's just, there's always that, you know, there's that kind of pyramid. Yeah. You always want the next thing. Exactly. And so it's important to acknowledge that, as you say, gratitude, I think is probably very important. Um, even though we'll be, you know, we'll all be biting at the bit, uh, chomping at the bit to, to get back into it. Um, yeah. that means that just kind of being present is, is quite important. I, I completely agree. And, you know, I, I know that, yeah, of course I'm yearning to be back in, in, um, in competition um and but but of course just being able to train has been good and actually the one thing that i've kind of got out of this which is great is it's very unusual to have such a large training block as well um you know usually uh, the the competitions kind of roll around quite soon and you maybe have a month maybe six weeks if you're lucky between um the the, the competition blocks but usually if you're in deep part of the competition there's a lot of fatigue with the travel and those kind of things as well as the extreme exertion that goes into a world cup you know i remember the first time that i'd kind of gone to a world cup and i'd made the not just the squad but the team and so you have to qualify through day one and then you're making the the following day and whether you made the 64 or the 32 um 
you know, and, and then compete the next day in the team all the way through to the very end. You're broken by the end of it. I mean, I like to pride myself and, and so do you, Chris, on being, you know, very well conditioned athletes. But at the end of the day, it's the, the emotional energy that goes into it and the focus that that was is an absolute, you know, killer. And so not not being not being able to to get huge training blocks to prepare yourself for that. Um, and even when you do have a larger training block coming off the back of something like that is so taxing. You do need a few days to recover. And so you don't always utilize that training block. And so certainly since Christmas, I think we've had a 12 week training block where we've been able to make such significant gains, both physically in the gym um, and in the cell by, you know, being able to try things out and work on new tactics, that kind of stuff, just that you wouldn't usually get in a conventional season. And so I suppose what I'm trying to say is every cloud has a silver lining. And despite lockdown and having been a very challenging time for most people um, and ourselves included, that actually there are a lot, lot that we that we can take away from that. And the fact that, you know, you are, you know, you've been able to in the breaks in between lockdown when we've had those kind of split second moments of freedom, we've been able to get a few lessons together, um, you know, outside um, or, in a, or in a garage somewhere. Um, as per like you know British fencing legislation and, and and that's been that's been really good as well but it's almost sometimes that can be a tease as well which is oh great it's starting to come back and then we enter another lockdown and it it becomes challenging again so it will be not it's nice to know that we're coming out the back end of it now where hopefully if we believe Boris Johnson that actually this is the last of it and things will only get better but having said that Europe's entering a third wave so I don't know I have to see. Yeah, it's so hard to know. And it's so hard to know as well. But there are so many variables. Like in theory, I think our vaccinations or our vaccination kind of progress is so far ahead of other people in Europe. We've been in lockdown for months, so we don't have the same number of cases. Think It'd be naive to think that the stuff in Europe won't hit us over here. So it would just, there are so many, we don't know, things might go one way or the other. But all I think at the moment, definitely, we've just got to, you know, just got to think of the fact that hope things are going in one direction and kind of plan for that and so I'm definitely doing that as well I my work at the moment is like in six week training blocks mm. so um funny enough they sort of coincide with my daughter's half term so perfect, perfect. <laughs> um well I've, I've made it that way anyway but you know I'm kind of I'm still discovering new things so have you done overhead press before with a barbell yes with, uh, yeah, yeah yeah doing some of those earlier that's a new thing you know I've I've put together you I sent you a picture like a, we've got like a you know, like a shoe box, not shoe box, but a, a kind of like blanket box that we had in the garage. So I put that under the <laughs> under the rack and I've been using it for bench press. You pointed out that um, I should probably be wary of the little legs on that thing and make sure they don't break. <laughs> so I just, I've got this image of you going for like a full press and then you just dropping by like half a foot as these legs just splay out on the side of this, this poor box. I mean, I think the box integrity is good. But I think you might suddenly disappear by, you know, a few inches as those legs snap off on a, you know, on a 70k, you know, to 80k um, dumbbell bench press. So I think it's. Oh, uh, we're not, we're not there yet. I did 55 today. I did uh, three reps of four, and that was really hard. I've never nice. benched before, so. Uh, it's, um, right, but it's, it's a starting point, and actually, do you know what? It's really frustrating because, um, as uh, you know, I've I said we've had a, a chance to make some serious gains, and, and actually, um, you know, my we we were only allowed into the gym in, in in pairs, obviously because of uh, because of COVID uh, restrictions, um, and because of this kind of set of two week, sorry, a set of uh, two six week blocks, um, we've been able to really focus on some big lifts and stuff like that, and so numbers are, are going up, and um, I uh, 
I, I liked the, the some of the numbers that I was hitting so much so that, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to put this on the group, that, which which Chris is involved in, uh, along, along with two other people. And um, and, and I, I suddenly got very much put back down to size when um, the other person on that group is Ethan Risdale, who, for some of you may know, is a Welsh fencer. Um, and uh, he's um, he, he's gone full, full into like weightlifting in lockdown because obviously he can't fence at all. And boy is strong. And so I was throwing around <laughs> some of these numbers thinking I was looking good. But then he kind of came back with some of his. And, you know, I mean, I, I thought a 130 squat was pretty good, but he's repping out 150. I mean, that's that is and, and on like perfect form as well. And you know, perfect he, form. He's he's looking really good. He's gonna destroy everyone when he comes back. So hats off to, to Ethan Risdale. But what I would say is the one thing that I am quite pleased about is I have got a new challenge and I've never never had a not not never had a new challenge oh uh, yeah hang on we have to build up to this we have to we have to have like a drum roll or something oh a drum roll yeah so i think i think the new the the new challenges are hard to come by and as chris and i spoke about um probably at the beginning of our of our fenced in podcast we were doing a lot of running because there was nothing else to do apart from that um and um anyway for some those of you that follow me on on instagram and on social medias you would have seen that my my dad run ran the london marathon uh, last year but it was cancelled so he had to run it virtually anyway i felt quite bad the poor guy was going to be running on his own in a, on a really really soggy wet horrible day and he wasn't going to have the the crowds cheering him on so i thought well uh, you know my fencing training and the running that i've been doing will hopefully help me so i'll do half with him so i jumped on with him about halfway round, which is still like you know 20 I think it's 22, uh, 20, 21K, sorry, 21K. And, um, you know, I got to the end of it and thought, well, yeah, it was, it was quite hard, but I could survive on that based on the 10Ks that I was doing and the other fencing stuff. So I was just about, and then there's a, not as a laugh, but as a kind of a whim, we were like, oh, well, we should all enter um, next year. And uh, so I put an application in. Anyway, my, uh, my brother, myself and my dad have all been selected by uh, Bernardo's, the, the children's charity that we, we support as a family to run the London Marathon. So in October, uh, the first weekend in October, I uh, am running the London Marathon with my dad and my brother as part of Team Bernardo's, which we are really, really excited for. And it is a challenge. And with lack of competitions, it's something to aim for. So that's kind of my my news. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. That's amazing. That's a congratulations and good luck. And I suppose, I mean, possibly too many unknowns at the moment, but how will that affect your training? What, well, that's the thing. I, I mean, I've looked at the program and to be honest, I can probably manage it. Uh, you know, you and I do a lot of running anyway as just part of our fencing training, but we don't tend to go over 10K um, and 5K is kind of the, the perfect fencing or certainly foilist based training. Um, so I think a lot of it is not when, when I've looked at the programs, not a lot of it is about hitting certain distances. It's about running for X amount of time. Now, I could be completely wrong. I'm sure there are marathon runners throwing things at the at the wall at the moment when they're listening to this podcast. That's my very brief overview of, of having skim read a couple of programs. Um, and it's about kind of getting miles in the tank. I think what's quite nice is that, you know, uh, uh, as part of the club, we've been doing um, uh, FCL. We've been, uh, Pavel's put in place some high intensity um, uh, running that we've been doing. So for those that follow me on Strava, we'll see that every Saturday I'm out there doing the high intensity stuff. And, and that's kind of running at 90% of your heart rate for an extended period of time, followed by recovery. Um, and so in terms of marathon running, that's called tempo running. And so from what I've looked at, one of the plans is obviously you have your kind of like recovery runs, your slightly longer runs, and then you have your tempo runs. Um, and so I think I'm doing quite a lot of it already. There will just be the the slightly longer runs that I, I need to focus on. And, you know, running for, 
you know, an hour and a half. Um, you know, I think the longest you and I would run doing 10K is around 40 minutes. So to potentially double that is obviously going to be, um, you know, quite taxing. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look like a lean, mean fighting machine come to the start line in October, you know. Um, but it's exciting. It's a new challenge. It's a new type of training. And obviously, I don't necessarily need that, that level of, of, of conditioning for fencing because it's such a, an anaerobic-based sport. And this is more aerobic, obviously. So it's, um, but with, with, with no competitions currently on the horizon, why not have a new challenge? It's only going to help me, I think, you know, in fencing. Um, and that still is the main goal, right? But it's... Yeah, absolutely. I think it falls back on what I said, you know, what I wrote before. Be curious, be brave and have fun. And I think if as long as you're ticking those boxes, you're it's you're not you're not going to suddenly become a marathon runner instead of a fencer. So I think just, uh, you know, as you said, I think enjoy the challenge. I think it's I'm slightly envious, but also not at all. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a scary prospect. But I think the one thing about the London Marathon is that so many people come out to support you. And even when I was running the, the virtual one, there were still people tooting their horns in their car and um you know people shout at us and the encouragement so i think that will if nothing else that will certainly get you around but despite that obviously being something on the horizon it's been good to see the return of what is fencing competitions and um it's frustrating somewhat that um that that the whole squad weren't allowed to go to doha which is the men's foil um world cup uh, sorry grand prix actually that, that that's running in place of what was anaheim when it was cancelled um i think the the whole squad were looking to go but due to um i think uh, a decision by british fencing the government and, and uk sport they've said that you know send send your kind of the guys that are looking to qualify so marcus is obviously going out to, to doha just to basically seal his olympic qualification no pressure but you know he's 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 basically there and then Richard as 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 the reserve. And so the rest of us are, are staying at home. But to be honest, when I look at it and I think about the amount of money that it would cost to take to get there um, and, and do everything, because now Doha has been put on the red, the red list for, for the UK. And so, um, you know, when you, when you come back from Doha now, you have to be in one of those hotels for two weeks. And so, you know, I think that that's about you know, nearly £2,000 to stay in one of those hotels when you get back from an international travel. And so you're suddenly looking at that plus getting out there, staying out there in the hotel and all that kind of stuff, just being a really expensive, um, uh, you know, thing. So actually, even though it's great to see the return of competition, um, it's a real shame not to be there. But also, I'm glad the decision was taken out of my hands by by British Fencing UK Sport and stuff, because it just would have been cripplingly expensive. And I wouldn't have had to like to have chosen between my head and my heart on that one. Let's put it that way. No, of course, of course. And actually, so we're recording this. What day is it? Thursday. <laughs> we're recording this yeah. on Thursday. And they... I think it starts tomorrow morning, doesn't it? Friday, men's foil starts uh, Friday morning. And yeah. I think women's foil is Saturday morning. Kind of, And then the finals, I think, for both are on Sunday. Is that right? Yeah, that's, I think, the format they're running the Grand Prix in. And, um, yeah, Kate, Kate Beardmore is out there for women's foil. Um, I think Yasmin was going to go out there as well, but I don't think she is anymore. So Yasmin Campbell, that is. So, um, yeah, Kate is out there. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the three foilist uh, hopefuls. We've got Marcus, Richard and, and, and Kate. And um, we're obviously, let's get Marcus over the line and, and, and qualified for the games. As I say, he's about 95% of the way there. So just a, a result from him will, will seal seal the deal. And um, and for Richard, you know, I think he, he wants to go out there and just enjoy a, a, a competition. And for Kate, you know, I think this is um, this is a great opportunity. And, and I think, you know, you've got the zonals coming up after this as well. It'll be interesting to see who... who who out of all the British athletes will, will go to the zonals. And I know before uh, Doha, we've had Kazan just gone in, in Russia. That was the men and women's EPE um, last Olympic qualifier. 
and and before that was um, uh, Sabre in Budapest, um, which I saw some of the highlights from that and got a chance to watch the final. And it was epic, absolutely epic. It was great to watch. What did you did you manage to see the Sabre? Yeah, actually, I pretty much watched all of it. I don't normally watch Sabre. I quite like high level Sabre, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I normally. You know, I think nor in in a normal year, there's so much fencing going on. As much as I love it, I don't have the time to kind of get round to it, or I, you know, it doesn't quite tick the box. And this time, I was just loving it. I was all over it. I had, you know, I've got two monitors at home. I had all the pieces open. Nice, <laughs> like live results on my phone. I mean, check, you know, kind of checking in and out. We watched the, you know, with the Chromecast, we watched the finals on the TV, and it was just, it was so good to watch. Um, yeah, yeah, the individual final, you know, 14 all between two giants. And then team, you know, the teams as well. One of the big surprises for me were the women's Sabre Polish team who yeah. won gold. That was and, incredible. Really young team, I think. Totally, totally. You know, really kind of massive surprise. And they're not even going to to Tokyo. They, I don't even think they're in with a chance. So there's a good example of, you know, <laughs> don't yeah. be afraid. You know, just be, you know, they were obviously totally relaxed and just no really pressure. wanted to fence and had a great time. And uh, there was a really kind of crazy, weird last hit. I don't know if you saw it, the 44-all. Yeah, I did. They both kind of went for like this jump second parry. <laughs> yeah. Both kind of missed. And there was a bit of an odd remise in it. Yeah, it was yeah, It was, it was definitely odd... a case of like, I'm just going to try something wild. And either it will really work or it really won't. <laughs> I think they both, they both went for the exact same action. They both went, you know what? Let's just go for something completely random, I'd say, and see what happens. And just, they, it was a mirror image and then just a, a cheeky remise. So yeah, I think that was wicked. It just shows... Also, the uh, I suppose the 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 say the innocence of youth, right? It's uh, these athletes coming in; they've got no pressure. They they haven't qualified for the Olympic Games. They're probably on their they're probably thinking about their trajectory for the next Olympic Games in twenty four, and if not twenty eight for for LA. And so they had no expectations, no pressure. I just wanted to go and do their thing. They're you know they and they just performed, and it was amazing to see. And they are certainly the ones to watch. But you know, com- compare that with Zhilagi, who is kind of almost a fencing veteran now, not necessarily by age, but just experience on the piece. Two that Olympic gold individual. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and what, I, what I love is his ability to be the most ferocious man on the piece, yet being able to do it with such exquisite technique. That man's technique does not falter, even in the most ridiculous of, of, of situations, exhaustion and whatever. He's, he's just... A, a perfect model fencer, if you will. He's Federer. He's the Federer of fencing, I think. That's the way I, I look at him. That's a good shout. That's a yeah. good shout. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. 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 And then, so the other thing is we had, um, you know, I think, so you had that the first week, so that would have been three weeks ago, two weeks ago. No, sorry, that would have been two weeks ago. And then last weekend, you had the Epe in Kazan. Um, and that, do you know, that was a five-day event. So they had, because they had really? teams as well, I think they ran a format where they started on, could be wrong, but I think it was on Thursday. So kind of men's prelims on the Thursday or, yeah, something like that. So prelims on Thursday, women's prelims on Friday, okay. Saturday men's finals, something, Sunday mm. men's finals. The Monday, I think, was teams, like okay. men's teams. And then the Tuesday was like women's teams. So it ran forever. It was almost like a European champs or a world champs. Yeah, it probably is a COVID, like maybe a COVID way, sorry, a COVID safe way to do it. But yeah. uh, I think it was, it, you know, again, I I didn't watch all of that, but I found myself watching Epe, um, which is not my strong suit. I'm not I'm not a big fan of Epe, you know, I don't, I, partly because when I lunge, it's one light against me. But uh, <laughs> I there were there were some there was a really interesting semi final. There was a I think he was 
I'm going to get this wrong. Anyway, there was an Eastern European fencer who kind of made his way through the field. He found himself in semifinals. He was 14-10 up. And then this Hungarian guy just came back. He just, in about 20 seconds, he went from 14-10 down and won 15-14. Oh, wow. We've all crazy. been there. That's that's gut-wrenching when that happens. The one light, like five one lights in a row in Epe. That's, that, I mean... It's hard. It's hard. That sounds, that sounds uh, you know, full on to me. So well done to him. But it, I think it was just really good to see fencing on YouTube again. I found it very motivating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was, um, if I remember rightly, and I could be wrong, um, there, there was an Egyptian uh, men's FAS that I think made the podium or certainly made the top eight. Um, I want to say podium. I could be wrong. Um, probably best to research, Ben, before you start um, doing a podcast. But um, he certainly, I think, made the top eight for sure. Um, and it was great to see because I know that, you know, the, the last Olympic medalist from the African zone was... Formerly El Saeed, now Abdul Kassan. Um, the, he's been Abdul Kassan for a while now, actually. So probably, probably, but back then, I think he was, if I remember rightly, in 2012, he may have been El Saeed. I'm not entirely sure, but it may have been Abdul Kassan. I'm not sure. But anyway, he he was the you know silver medalist from London. Um, you know, and that was a, a kind of a historical moment, really. Like the I was the, there. Uh, I watched it live. It was amazing. Yeah. It was it was absolutely incredible, and you know he was formerly uh, junior world champion, and to go on and produce that, um, as I say, one of Africans uh, African zones um, first medals, I believe. So just it's also great to see that another Egyptian is is kind of um, coming through the field and, and and getting great results in another weapon in another discipline, um, which is just showing that you know the the, the African zone is really um, increasing in strength. And, and I also you know I think it's probably something to say for the FIE and their incentives to broaden fencing worldwide. You know I remember you talked to some some coaches who used to compete back in the day and you, you would you wouldn't see a, a, an african nation at a competition um you might see a few asian fences it was mainly european dominated so it's just great to see that fencing is so worldwide now and that you're you know getting people from all over the world meddling um or, or challenging for the for the for the big internationals so yeah that was really good to see us too absolutely and so we're both for this so we, obviously we've got more of a vested interest in this weekend you got any predictions? I think I've just got the entry list up. I think there are 152 entries, um, which is quite a lot, actually. For what that's that's shocking because done. I know for a while it was only sitting at about 80, 90, and that's really rocketed up in the last couple of, well, probably the last week. Interesting. Oh, I haven't really taken a look at it. I've just looked at the number at the top. But have you have you got any predictions? Like who might fare? So I mean, it could be nations, it could be individuals. I don't. I'm not really in the loop with anything. But I know. I imagine everybody's been training quite hard. Mm. um so I'm, I'm just wondering how that's going to go because there, yeah. there are a lot of people you know in the top 16 maybe they'll have they'll have a benefit or maybe maybe that won't be so good because they won't get as much fencing in i think it depends very much on what each nation's been doing in terms of uh if they've had a nationalized program and they've been allowed to um to to, to train as a squad um and I, again i could be completely wrong when i say this but um you know inset in france may may have been able to have kept going and so if the squad has been able to train together they should be in good shape um, I know the 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 Americans did get a, a national training camp down, and I believe it was Palm Springs. Um, and I'm getting a lot of this information from social media, so if I'm wrong, I, I apologize. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I saw some stuff on social media with the whole American squad down there doing some training. So if you can get your best athletes together to train, then you have a, a higher chance of, of doing well. Um, I know I, I follow um, Owen Lepeshu on, uh, on 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 Instagram, and he is looking in incredible physical shape. He's definitely spent um, lockdown just you know lifting weights and getting strong. And so, in fact, it's quite funny because he's gone out to Doha, and obviously they're not allowed to leave their rooms. They have to be quarantined in their rooms for I, I believe the first few days. 
Um, and actually, I think that is that is the rule that when you're there, you stay in the bubble, which is the hotel. Um, and so there's some great videos coming out of some of the athletes just in their hotel room doing a physical workout. Um, so there was a really good one posted by uh, Lupesh in the last couple of days of him just doing all bodyweight exercises in his hotel room. Um, and then there's um, a Bushanik, a, a, an Austrian fencer that was, you know, he's kind of taking photos of the, the, the meal delivery to the, to the room as well. So it's a really alien world. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you've been in and out of training potentially at, at home. You've now had to, you know, step foot on a flight for probably what has been for most people over a year. Travel out there, get tested as well arrive get tested again make sure that you know if you get the green light you can then go to the bubble which is the hotel and then stay in in the hotel and in the room for you know a few days being basically just having parcels of food delivered to you doing you know you're a bit of C in the room to to stay active i guess and and also not mentally lose it so it's i think this this is going to be really weird really really weird i can't i think it's so hard to put your finger at anybody that's going to do outstandingly i just think it's those that have been able to manage the challenges of this whole process better than others it might not be the person that's been doing the most amount of training it's just those that can take these covid regulations in their stride i guess what about you have you got any predictions no none i asked that question and i haven't really thought about it at all so <laughs> i think i think i think you're right i think people that are able to be most relaxed um uh, you know kind of about everything that's been going on and the way they have to live their life when competing right now are probably the ones that will come out of it um you know just just really well um one thing so, i would say is potentially um and I, and I say this because um our, our, our club um, fco had a had the, the pleasure of hosting um enzo lafour uh, to uh, and, and thanks Chris for for some of your translations that really helped with with getting him on board and he he came along and we did an interview with him and, and you know some of his pearls of wisdom for the kids were were great but he, but but Enzo is very much a, a relaxed guy and doesn't doesn't put too much pressure on himself I'm sure he has in the past but he he's very much one that can go with the flow and I think an athlete like him with his experience I mean you've only got to look at Budapest right he was world champion um, in 2019 and so actually that that's that's not only is he starting from a great platform but also his whole um demeanor towards this is just you know kind of go with the flow and he's always been an athlete that's prepared to just keep a balance in life and, and keep things um very much on his terms um and, and not be scared to 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 kind of you know undulate with with the, with the ever-changing circumstances so someone like him i think could be in with a great shout yeah absolutely i think it's really interesting you mentioned him um because so I was thinking about this the other day. So he's from Guadeloupe, right? Yes. And there have been quite a few successful French fencers from Guadeloupe. I think so. Obviously, he's one of them. I think uh, Yasora Tibu. She's yeah, and actually another one. his inspiration was uh, Laura Flessel. Laura Flessel. And you've got Yannick Borel as well. I think he's from Guadeloupe. Yes, yes. And if I remember correctly, and I could be completely wrong when I say this, um, but also maybe Jean-Paul Tony Hillise, who was part of the team when oh, they, yeah, they got a silver medal at the Olympic Games in in uh, in Rio. So I think he's also from that area of the world. So I think if we say that's five French athletes with mm. a very high level of success, what I find amazing is the fact that that proportionally, I think that's probably quite a high percentage. Mm. And I wonder what it is because I'm sure the fencing facilities in Guadeloupe aren't great. And they, I, and he, I think he said in his um he. Uh, I, I listened in to, to some of it. So thank you to FCL for letting me do that. Um, and, you know, he was saying, you know, he fends twice a week, maybe a bit, not very much. 
So I don't think it's to do with the facilities. I don't think it's to do with the pathway or kind of what fencing means necessarily. But it's obviously just there's kind of a way of life. There's a mindset, uh, obviously, possibly with good genes. Um, but there's there's obviously something about that part of the world or the infrastructure they've got there, that part of the world that mean that it kind of people go on to be successful fencers. And I, I find that idea very, very interesting because, as you said, it's not, you know, you would expect that fencers growing up in Paris would go on to be really successful. Mm. You know, you wouldn't necessarily, it'd, be a, it'd probably be a bit like saying, you know, you expect people from the Isle of Wight to go on and be really successful fencers, yeah. um, you know, for like the British team or something, because it would be, I might have got my geography all wrong and caused all sorts of political nightmares there. But um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's not I something you. to think about kind of, uh, you know, let, let's find some really good fencers, we'll go there. Well, I think what the, the interesting thing is, how many fences come out of um, that small area of the world and how many as a proportion are successful, which is, as you say, if if, if on the island you have, um, you know, 50 people start fencing in the year and five of them end up um, becoming World or Olympic champions, that's a 10 percent turnover rate. So that's amazing, right, because you, you wouldn't see that anywhere else in the world. And so I think the fact that there is even fencing there is is um, is is excellent because the French Federation have made it so. And so these young kids are are getting access to fencing in a very early age. Like um, Enzo said that he started fencing when he was five years old. And I didn't start fencing until I was 10. And I thought starting 10 was relatively early. So he had five years on me. So the fact they have access to it so early and the fact that they have someone to look up to, he said his inspiration was, was Laura Flesson. So, you know, they've got someone who, who's, who's from, from their area of the world that is the automatic inspiration. So they have the modeling effect is immediately there. That, this is the person that I want to be like. They have access to fencing, which would probably in a lot of other places around the world, somewhere that's, that's remote as that, would, be, would struggle to have access to fencing. And then they have obviously the support of the, of, of the, the, the French, French, French Fencing Federation, which is excellent. And again, I don't know that for sure, but this is kind of me piecing together some of the information that I do have. So if I'm, if I'm slightly off, I apologize. But I think that that is what makes a kind of winning success, which is they're starting early, they've got a good model and they've got a good infrastructure within the whole system. Um, and that's what's what's made them hugely successful. Um, uh, and, you know, there are. Yeah. Again, there are other factors as well. The, the way of life as well could, could be very different, very healthy way of living as well. You know, there, there are many different things, many different aspects. And what I quite like about this is the the the, the nature versus nurture um, argument this is exactly that. So um, but yeah, I mean, it was great to talk to Enzo and, and, and you know, his 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 whole um, attitude towards COVID has been great. And he's now a dad as well, a bit like yourself. So um you know it's he's he's again keeping that wonderful balance in life so i think someone like him go out there and, and and do an incredible job um it will be good to see how the italians are doing because i know the italians have had a very tough time in in uh in terms of covid they were one of the worst hit in europe to start with um you know and, and even now it sounds like you know when we spoke to enzo he said that france are going into another two weeks of lockdown but i believe the italians are going into another month of lockdown as well so things are quite challenging and i know in in Italy, instead of having like a nationalized center like they do with INSEP, it's a lot more club based and they come together every couple of months to have what is a national camp. But a lot of it is club based. So have they been able to train? I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. But yet you and I have seen that Frascati has been training and has been fencing, which is one of the best clubs in, in Italy for foil. Um, and actually a lot of international athletes have gone there to train. And so that's been going and they've been training. So maybe things are OK there. Maybe somebody from that Frascati bubble could go in and produce amazing results. You've got what CS, who's there from Poland. You've got Dosa uh, from Hungary. 
Um, you've now got Toffolidis is down there. Um, you've, you've, you've got Toldo, you've got Lavador, and then you've obviously got the Italians like Garozzo and, and people like that that are training there. So somebody out there could be a big contender for, for a medal. What does that mean for the Olympics, I wonder? So obviously these are the final Olympic qualifiers, which is why they're going ahead. And the Olympics, oh, although possibly before the Olympics, we were saying, you so said we've got zonal qualifiers and then we've got possibly zonal championships. Right? So you've got, so you got the zonal zonal championships. Yes, we'll, we'll have, well, we, we expect it to happen. Um, I know that off of the back of this, there will still be some athletes that are obviously in with a chance of qualifying through their zonal qualifier. Um, and so for those that are a bit unsure about what the zonal qualifier is, um, basically uh, to, to cut a very long story short, because qualification for fencing is, is challenging to say the least to explain over a podcast without showing you all the facts and figures and numbers. But basically after all the teams have qualified, um, you then ha- you take them out of the world ranking and then you have two from Europe um, that automatically qualify for the world ranking. Um, and then I believe it's two from Asia and I believe then it's one from America, one from Africa. I could be wrong. Maybe it's two from there. I believe it's one. Um, and then after that, then you have the zonal uh, competition, which obviously is a zone in Europe, a zone in Africa, a zone in Americas and a, a zone in Asia. And it's a competition on the day. And the person who wins that also gives themselves a point to the a place at the Olympic Games. Um, probably one of the most pressure field and field environments I can imagine to go out there and know that out of the 20 of you that are there, only one of you is going to the Olympic Games. Um, that must be unbelievably challenging to, to, to deal with. Um, so going back to, to what you were saying, that will take place, we think, a couple of weeks after um, after Doha, which is the, the, the last Olympic qualifier from all the weapons. Um, but again, obviously, you've got to you've got to throw COVID into the mix. Will it happen? Will it not happen? I don't think it won't happen. It might get delayed, um, but it, it it needs to go ahead to get the last uh, athletes qualified, and then you have your your full rostrum of, of of athletes going to Tokyo Olympic Games. And then after that, it's then the the big question is, and I can only talk for men's foil because I don't know the circuit for the other weapons. But hypothetically, there are things like St. Petersburg and Shanghai, which are the last remaining events um that would have just finished the season anyway they don't count towards olympic qualification anymore but they you know they are on that calendar so will they go ahead i don't think they will but then the european championships which is used for the the, the olympic rankings is um is going to be is going to is put in the calendar um and so it might not go ahead but it still is in the calendar and so the big question mark is is that going to go ahead and if that does go ahead will athletes go or will they think if i'm qualified i'm, I'm going to avoid this one until the games so i the question is for a lot of athletes in their mind is what competitions are they doing and why so of course you would try and seal your olympic qualification but after that are you just adding to your risk of getting sick um by going to one of these competitions if they even happen um, of course, the zonal ones, again, people are going to want to go to. But it's, say, for example, Shanghai or St. Petersburg is put in or on. Would people go to that as a warm up for the Olympic Games? Would they avoid it entirely to make sure they stay injury free and, and illness free and all that kind of stuff? So that's and, and also traveling. You know, certainly I know Europe are having are putting in place this vaccine passport now. And so anybody from outside Europe. Um, obviously ourselves included have to adhere to that so does it mean the travel is going to be harder as well to get to those places we just don't know and so it'll be really interesting to see what happens post the zonals whether those ones will happen and if the european champs will happen as well and then you have the olympic games themselves in tokyo i've just announced there will be absolutely no international fans allowed so there's a lot of unknowns and very tricky preparation for some of the athletes who are going to the olympic games 
Yeah, absolutely. I think no fans is actually probably quite a good call. Um, I think it probably would. I mean, there are obviously still a lot of people that will be going to the Olympics as part of like support teams and things. But I think they have, um, and it, obviously it's amazing to see the Olympics going ahead. I know I'll be watching that. And um, but I think there are other measures in place that Johnny Davis mentioned in our last episode. Obviously, he liaises with the Olympic Committee. Um, quite a lot so he's as the Olympic manager for British fencing he knows a lot of what's going on and he mentioned the fact that rules will be slightly different I think around having to you know once your events are finished basically getting out of there as quickly as you can or you know like within a couple of days um, so things will be slightly different I don't imagine people have the huge you know the same experience of a of a multi sport multidisciplinary event that lasts over a, a you know a large period of time but i'm sure that won't really take away from anyone's experience we've got a while till the game so we can talk about it in a you know we'd have to talk about it immediately but i we did want to cover a few things including the fact that now all medals are available for all weapons for anybody that doesn't know what used to happen is you would have four team events so at every olympics and all the individual events and then the team events that missed out would rotate every olympics i think so you so every olympics you'd miss two but not the same two as the ones before so um what that means now is we don't have that anymore um because there, there was an agreement reached that that meant now all the medals can be given out for all the events so we finally have an a, a olympics going forwards where every you know every event can get every medal which i think is absolutely fair and we actually had that for rio i think we had all we had all the all the weapons in rio Oh, did we? Did we have it yeah, in Rio? That, that was, was the first one. That was the that was the first Olympic Games. Yeah. The great thing is that changes a lot of funding for a lot of like organizations because I know when you know a lot of people go, oh well, you know, do we do we have a do we have a team event in the next Olympic Games? Yes, we do. Okay, cool. We can fund ten athletes and then we'll whittle that down over the four year cycle to get to to our four that we will send. So you know, it, it really did change the layout of 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 certainly public funding towards that that kind of stuff. So but yeah, Rio was the first one we we had it at. So it'd be great to see this again in, in, in Tokyo. And obviously Thomas, Thomas Bach, who's a fencer, the head of the IOC now, I think has gone some way to, to doing that. Um, but you're right, what, what Olympic experience we're we going to get? Because it, it could almost be like a World Cup format. It's almost like fly in, isolate for a couple of days, do your event, fly out again. As you say, it won't necessarily be the experience of an opening ceremony, a closing ceremony, spending two weeks in the village afterwards, that kind of stuff, and really soaking up that kind of Olympic environment, which would... I mean, look, you're still an Olympian and you still have an amazing time in those days you're there, but it's not maybe quite the same. And actually, for some people, that would be really beneficial. They might not get distracted by all of the, the, the Olympic movement and insanity that is the Games, um, because there is so many distractions there. All great things, but, but challenging for some athletes. And so actually, it might make people more focused. But I suppose for me, the biggest thing is, can you imagine going through all this year, qualifying, getting there, and then the day of your event, you wake up and you test positive. I mean, that would just uh, be... I can't imagine. It'd be awful. Crippling. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. I think people will take precautions. But actually, I just want to jump back to something. So you just reminded me, you were in Rio. So you were you were part of the squad that went. You were sparring partner, training partner. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long were you there? Uh, so I actually went out. We went out. We flew out to uh Belo Horizonte first which is in in the north of Brazil and we did a, a, a training camp there for 
for um for a week um and uh, carlos lavador was the other training partner so we were, we were shacking up together him and i and then we trained with the guys um daily at, at the tennis center which was which was really cool um the guys did all their press stuff and you know we we were just um we, we, we had the easy job basically we got to swan around enjoy the olympic movement and and uh, and be around all these top athletes but just turn up for training for the guys so we had it quite nice um and then we flew down from Belo Horizonte down uh, after being there for about a week flew down to 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 um to to rio um where i then i think carlos then left us at that point i then went to um a, a, an accommodation with the other support coaches so i think at the time it was uh Jemek and uh, i think it was dean there who was who was james james's um support uh at the time and like die fulcher who was our video analysis as well um and we we were all in a in, in a kind of apartment together um and i think andre was the head coach at times so he was looking after the squad um and yeah we were, we were just outside the the main olympic village and and uh, also main olympic area where the karaoke's were where the fencing was going on and um yeah every day we went to british schools which was a, a school that basically team gb had taken over to do more training so i went down there with the guys and trained with them we were situated with both boxing and taekwondo which was really cool to see um you know we had um i think it was princess anne i want to say princess anne or princess margaret oh i'm not sure one of the royalty came uh, came over and said hello and that was quite cool to do but again there are lots of distractions all amazing things but you know when you're kind of sitting opposite andy murray for for for, for lunch that's you know there, some athletes can find that distracting and when you've got royalty coming in you have to stop halfway through your sparring practice to, to go and say hello again it's a distraction and again maybe a good thing but it's challenging for some athletes and so all of that uh, along with press and stuff can be can be difficult um i was had the privilege of going into to the uh, uh, the olympic village for one day i was taken in um and unfortunately i got stuck in the press area um because i basically i went shopping i was like oh this is really cool i'm gonna go shopping in the press area and i got stuck and um and again if it hadn't been for lepeshu who'd gone like don't worry he's with me i don't think i'd have got back into the village so i got into the village and actually i remember and again this was the easy bit for me all the boys were prepping and getting ready and that kind of stuff and Andre was like, do you want to go to McDonald's? I was like, yeah. So it was free McDonald's for, for anybody who was there. So I think uh, Andre did a little tour of the Olympic, uh, the, the Olympic Village with me, um, you know, kind of burger in one hand, McFlurry in the other, um, perfect athlete's diet. But by that point, my kind of my sparring and training with the guys was over so I could kind of relax a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I got that half a day in the village just to see it, really, um, which was very kind of, of, of the, the guys to let me in. Um, and yeah, it was, but there is, as I say, there is so much distraction and when athletes finish their events as well, they want to party, they want to unwind, they want to enjoy the Olympic movement. And so maybe, maybe the whole in and out process could be really good for athletes. And actually what you tend to see in a lot of Olympic games gone by is usually the number one seed going into the event or someone that's been winning consistently isn't the one that usually wins the games. And if you go back historically, don't get me wrong, they are winners in their own right but they may not have been the ones that were winning consistently right up to the games. No, that's that true. Means, the the that's individual hard. medalists, from what I've seen anyway, tend to be a bit of a curveball. Yeah. Like, I don't think anybody saw Garozzo winning before he won. Mm. Um, who was who was it before that? Was it Sheng Lei? Uh, yeah. Lei had a, had a bad season going into 2012. Like, when I say bad season, I mean, if you consider the year before that, he won every Grand Prix, every Grand Prix that year. He technically then had a bad season afterwards, and yeah. when I say a bad season, that's in comparison, right? But yeah. everyone, but went, it's oh, all, but it's all relevant. Form. It's all relevant, right? Like yeah. it's all, it's all important. It's kind of you know, where is your form? You know, so it, it will be interesting. Do you do you think that means that the Olympics will almost be more like a World Championships than fences? Yeah, I think so to a certain degree. Um, and 
you know, but but again, like, for example, when, you know, if Marcus qualifies, and I keep saying if, it's still, there is a calculation that means there is a possibility, but he's basically going right. And and when he goes there, he's there, he's there without a team. And so for him, it's almost more like a, a Grand Prix, if anything else. He's going in there, doing an individual event and coming home. There'll be no team event for him. So actually, it's not even like a world championships. For some athletes, it could be just like a Grand Prix event. Fly in, spend two days before, do your event and then go home. And 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 that's... That's the that's the reality of it. So, but with that with that being said, I mean, what's what's amazing is that uh, Karim Bashir and Dave Baker they run a Facebook page um, that is all about the Olympic qualification through their their own calculations. Um, I, I'm aware that I'm getting this through social media, but these guys are like really accurate with it. Um, so I think for the most part we can kind of bank on this being this being correct. But obviously this is only correct of us on the day saying it. Um, because obviously things can still change between now and then. Um, but for example, uh, you know, women's EPE, uh, the final team rankings by the looks of things, the top four qualifiers are China, Poland, Russia and South Korea, um, which is which, which is um, really like certainly for, for, for some other weapons to hear, um, you know, like, for example, China being number one of the rankings, like for men's foil, if you if you kind of go back eight years, yeah, that that's completely understandable. But now China are, are not that high in, in, in men's foil. Um, and so to, for China and Zepe to be number one qualifier is, is incredible. And actually, you know, the, the extra qualifier from Europe um, for Zepe is Estonia, which for men's foil, there, there is no real Estonian team. So it's really interesting to see some of the, the nations that have qualified. So then we've got the men's Zepe teams as well. Uh, so at the moment in time, it's looking like France, Italy, Ukraine and Switzerland are the top four that will, will be qualifying um, with uh, South Korea as the zonal qualifier um, and China as the additional qualifier, um, Russia and then the United States. Um, so actually, that that's looking like they're, they're, they're top eight. So but again, for Switzerland to be in the top four, I mean, we know that Switzerland have got a very strong FA team. So but it, again, like for men's foil, for women's foil, you, you don't see the Swiss. So it's it's great to see such a a smorgasbord of, uh, of, um, of teams across from all over the world um, competing in the Olympic Games. For Sabre at the moment, it looks like you've got South Korea qualifying as number one, followed by Hungary, uh, and then Italy, and then Germany. What's amazing at the moment in time, France don't look like they're going to qualify for, 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 uh, for men's Sabre, which is crazy, you know, because France are one they of the... They haven't, actually. It's, I think it's determined. They haven't qualified. They're, they're, there'll be one individual, but there won't be a team. Yeah, you um, are correct. Yeah, so, they're, they're not qualified. Yeah, that's nuts. So and there actually, is actually the team have qualified. That's that's great to see. Yeah, so it's, it's South Korea, Hungary, Italy, and Germany are the top four, and then you've got uh, the additional qualifiers by zone are Russia and then Iran, which is incredible. Uh, France have not qualified, and then followed by United States as a zonal qualifier, and then Egypt from the African zone. So that's that's amazing to see. And then just as a as a final one for the women's um, saber team. Um, and the reason why I'm going through teams is this is the first protocol of athletes that that get selected off of it through the team rankings and then the individuals we still have to think about because obviously you've got the zonal qualifiers. But for team, we've got women's sabre teams. You've got Russia, number one, going Italy, uh, France and South Korea. The European uh, qualifier is Hungary. Um, and then unfortunately, Ukraine in sixth just miss out. And then from the United States, you've obviously got the USA. Also, it's from the America zone, you've got USA. Uh, and then from Asia, you have got um, China. And then from the African zone, you've actually got Tunisia for, for women's saber, which is uh, really interesting to see. So, yeah, like a, a great selection of, of teams across the world. 
and really interesting to look at other other qualifiers um and so it'll all be the uh, the individuals to play for based on the zonals as well and it'd be really interesting to see what the final qualification is for for men's foil i know that um unfortunately we were just picked by the by the germans but uh, as a team um but it'll be really interesting to see what the what the final was i actually know in fact actually the teams are done because this last one is a grand prix so there's no team events the teams are already sorted yeah. um sorry that's my mistake yeah so we were we were sorted a long time ago so now it'll be based on the individual results absolutely and so there are a couple of places um if you want to know more about that but so there's a whole podcast about that i think it's called uh tokyo 2020 podcast there's also a facebook group uh or page which i think ben is uh currently on yeah which which talks about this in more detail facebook.com forward slash fencing tokyo and there is actually the fie have set up a website a qualification website as well which i came across the other day tokyo2020.fie.org forward slash qualification uh, which I think talks about the same things. I actually don't know if that's independent to Kareem and Dave. But either way, I think it talks about the same stuff, but I think it's a bit behind the curve. So I, I think the Facebook group is, uh, I've checked often in the evenings after an event, um, it's kind of in real time. So they're, you know, they're obviously really on the ball and they want to, you know, they're really excited to show, you know, to show that progress is there. So if you want something really official, I think go to the website if you want something more up to date, but equally correct then go to the facebook group absolutely so basically you've got so many places to get all your information from and uh, and as i say our information is pretty accurate based on this moment in time but unfortunately like anything else um as as, as time moves forward things change so uh, but yeah it's 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 great to see and i think you and i will be certainly tuned in at the weekend to watch uh, watch the the doha results coming in we're really excited for our next guest um which we won't give away um but a long-standing uh, top men's foilist um, who also has a, a, an important announcement as well, which we're looking forward to. So we will uh, we will absolutely bring you that hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then also we have uh, an, a new organisation that has uh, come about in the last uh, six months, um, which I'm a part of, um, which we will also be interviewing um, in the next uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. But remember uh, to uh, subscribe, review, and definitely, definitely, definitely comment on whatever platform you get your um, your podcast from. Um, if you're if you're not sure where to go, go on my Instagram page. Um, I've got a linked tree um, uh, hyperlink there that you can jump onto to find it. Um, we are Fenced In Podcast at Fenced In Podcast on both Twitter and now on Instagram as well, Chris. Now on Instagram. Surprisingly, numbers on Instagram go up higher. As somebody that doesn't understand social media and isn't really on it, um, I found it interesting that how <laughs> many more people kind of liked and followed on Instagram than Twitter. Instagram but, uh, is a big one. Twitter's uh, getting a bit old these days. I mean, next, if you dare go on TikTok, you're on trouble. <laughs> you and i are both too old for that but um i mean my my own personal handles are at ben pegs and that's both on a facebook actually on facebook uh page is at ben pegs fencing um or ben pegs fencing sorry and on instagram and uh, twitter is at ben pegs and you can also find me just as ben pegs on on, on linkedin and um if you course this the, the high quality production value is done by our very own chris mollard from uh, j4g designs but you can also follow um, on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn, am I right with that one, Chris? And LinkedIn as well, yeah. Probably easier just to send me a connection. Yeah, um, well, Chris, yeah, Chris cool. Okay, well that's been that's been brilliant. We can't wait to come back to you very soon, as Ben said, with a big name, uh, with an announcement, and yeah. So we'll we'll be back. I think probably quicker than we were last time. Uh, until then, 
lots of love to everyone and stay safe and enjoy the fancy. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Bye. Fenced In Podcast has been created in association with J4G Design, your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital, websites, graphic design and technical support.